0: Hey there, sports fans. Roman is out on the road this week, so you are listening to a best-of edition of Sold Out Sports Talk with Roman Gabriel III. Coming up this hour, we'll hear from Wally Armstrong, PGA golf professional, Robert the Ghost Guerrero, five-times boxing world champ, Spencer Tillman, 49ers Super Bowl champion, and Tony Nathan and Caleb Castile from the Woodlawn. Welcome to Sold Out Sports Talk with Roman Gabriel III. Over the next hour, you'll hear what's going on in the sports world from a Christian's perspective. Now, here's your host, Roman Gabriel III.
1: Great to have you in with us tonight. Uh, Coming in. Uh, I told you a little bit about Wally Armstrong, former PGA pro, 12 years on the PGA Tour. He also caddied and looped on the PGA Tour, but uh, now making an impact uh, through the game of golf with the youth of America and around the world. Also author of The Mulligan with Ken Blanchard, Practicing the President of Jesus, which I'm reading right now, and we're going to tell you how to get those books. And I first came to know about Wally through his book uh, with Tom Lehman, In His Grip, Uh, Just some great devotional material for the Christian who loves golf. So if you're a golf fan out there, get your friends on the phone and uh, check it out uh, so that uh, you can hear uh, Wally Armstrong tonight. Wally, how are you, buddy? Doing great. Hey, great to have you in here tonight on Sold Out. You're a guy, uh, University of Florida. Uh, Just give people a little bit of background, first of all, uh, about your interesting background in terms of uh, you know, your love for golf, how you came to know the game of golf and just your experience, uh, in getting to the PGA.
2: Well, I grew up in Indiana, uh, out in the cornfield started looking for golf balls and to make a few bucks, uh, on this little nine hole course. And then I started caddying and, uh, for the club champion. And, uh, he took me under his wings and I really got a, got a flavor of golf, you know, and, and uh, I just loved the competition side of it. And, and he took me, he, uh, to the tournaments, and uh, then I ended up uh, playing in high school golf, won the state uh, championship my senior year, a couple other state titles, and I had a, a, a golf professional that had gone to LSU and in uh, college, and he says, if you really want to excel in golf, you need to go south to the SEC, so uh, I interviewed a number of, uh, of colleges and then uh, University of Florida offered me a scholarship, so got down there in the early 60s. Just, you know, I played pretty good. I was always second man kind of to Bob Murphy or Steve Melnick. I wanted to be a golf coach, and uh, that was uh, why I went in and got my graduate degree. Then after uh, uh, three tries to get on the tour, uh, you know, they had the old tour schools where they have a couple thousand guys trying out for 24 spots or so. I finally got it my third year. And a class of 24 guys, and uh, was able to stay out and play over 340 tournaments with the greatest players of all time, I think, in that uh, 70 uh, vintage. You know, with with Watson and Kite and Crenshaw and uh, Palmer and Nicholas and Player and Miller and <laughs> you know
1: more Hall yeah, of Famer. Definitely, yeah. The the Golden uh, Age. Wally Armstrong, former PGA pro, and uh, now in ministry. Uh, if you want to check out the books I told you about uh, Mulligan, Practice the Presence of Jesus, other things at WallyArmstrong.com, uh, I really would tell you that if you're a golf fan and you want to connect the game of golf, which is such a great life teacher, with your relationship with the Lord, these are books you absolutely have to have. And um, you know, you were talking to us at the Country Club on Monday with a group of uh, men and women that love golf and. Uh, you had a really interesting story. You said it about the 70s. It's almost like NFL football, the golden age of quarterbacks, the golden age of, of golf when you played the game. Um, you had an interesting relationship with Gary Player. Tell us about that.
2: Well, I, I had a, a, a chance to caddy for Gary Player. It was really a freaky kind of thing. I, I think it was God really set it up. But uh, but I caddied for Gary Player in three tournaments, and uh and, unfortunately, the third tournament, uh, he had a contract with a banana company, and I forgot to take uh, bananas out of the bag, and and uh, they stayed in there for a week, and then I ruined all of his rain gear and gloves. You know, I was on my knees there, and I ruined all of his uh, rain gear and gloves, and uh, that was the end of my caddy career.
1: But you reconnected with him, right? Yeah. Tell, tell me about how that happened with Gary, the reconnection, uh, when you got well, on the tour. Well,
2: then, uh, you know, I, I got... Uh, Earlier in the week, when I was catting for him in uh, New Orleans, he uh, uh, you know had these bananas out there, and I forgot to take them out of the bag. And but in the and he uh, asked me, uh, he said, Wally, if you really want to make a difference in people's lives for Christ, uh, you should be playing on the PGA tour. And uh, I didn't really had that kind of thought before, but uh, he uh, when I got back to Indiana after catting for him, on my doorstep was a staff bag and woods and irons and balls and gloves from him, and uh, 10 years later, I was playing with a practice round with him and Seve Ballesteros in the Masters, so, uh, you know, I, be, I really believe that God, I know he gave me a game that could sustain that kind of competition, but a heart to, to want to serve him, and uh, was very fortunate to, to be a part of uh, starting the uh, tour uh, chapel. Uh, when I got out there, it was one other player, and we kind of got it going again, and We saw a number of players trust Christ, like Larry Nelson, who's the Hall of Famer, Bernard Longer, Scott Simpson, just had a a, a tremendous group of of, uh, men and women that we met out on the tour with our wives every week.
1: Wally Armstrong, former PGA professional with us and uh, minister. He's out there all the time talking to men, talking to youth, and uh, we'll get to, to what he's doing with youth. It's absolutely incredible some of the things that he's got going out there in terms of reaching youth and getting more kids involved with the game of golf. And You also uh, obviously had a great love for Ronald Palmer.
2: Absolutely. He was the king when I was growing up in Indiana. Of course, they had the big three, you know, Jack and Arnold and, and Gary. But, uh, but Arnold, I think, was the people's favorite.
1: Now, you had an opportunity to see him play his last Masters and follow him, and uh, <laughs> you said something really interesting at the that got everybody's attention at breakfast the other day, that you saw Jesus in the flesh. Tell us about that.
2: Well, yeah, <laughs> that was very interesting. I I drove up from Orlando to follow Arnold. I got up there early Thursday morning and got out on the course, and I bumped into my mentor, Jim Hiskey, who we helped start the Lynx uh, links player's ministry and the college golf ministry together back in 1980. But I bumped into Jim and we were following Arnold and he said, listen, could you come up behind the 18th green? I'd like for you to meet my granddaughter, Rachel. So I came around there and there was Jim and Rachel. And there were about 20 people surrounding Ben Crenshaw and this tall spectator, you know, real handsome guy with khaki pants. And, but people were pointing at this spectator. And, uh, I said, uh, I, I don't know who that is, Jim. Uh, And he said, well, you evidently didn't see The the Passion of Christ this winter because that's the actor that played Jesus, that's Jim Caviezel. And uh, the people were, they could see his face, and they knew it was Jesus, but they didn't really remember his name, so they were going, hey, look, (laughs) there's Jesus talking to Ben Crenshaw over there. (laughs) So people were going, hey, look over there, there's Jesus, see? And, uh, And the whole thing about it, Roman, was, you know, he didn't have sandals and a beard, but he was like everybody else. He was he was a golfer, you know, and uh, and that was just an amazing picture to say. Well, that's that was just a picture of how, to me, how I was just learning to uh, to follow Christ in that way as a friend, as a almost like a fellow golfer. It, it it does say in the scriptures that he's our brother, he's our advocate, he's our Paracletos, which means somebody that comes along beside you and helps you. In the Mulligan book, we talk about how Jesus is our caddy. He picks up our baggage and picks up our lives and carries us, and uh, and and gives us the life and guides us along uh, like a caddy does. And a lot of people love that image.
1: In the book that you wrote, um, I'm reading it. The Praxis: The Presence of Jesus, uh, Ford by Ken Blanchard, and of course written by Wally Armstrong, experience the gift of his friendship. And what you're saying is, is that we need to do a better job of visualizing and understanding the relationship aspect of being a Christian.
2: Well, you know, I would ask the, the the listeners, you know, if 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 you hear the word Jesus, what do you see in your mind? You know, do you visualize, you know, a Jewish rabbi uh, two thousand years ago? Do you see a Sunday school picture of him? But for me, what happened is I was in my den uh, one morning, just wrestling with my faith, and uh, I just imagined him uh, as a real real person, and uh, he became real to me, and I realized that he is he's always there. <clears throat> but I had to, uh, he kind of revealed himself as a fellow golfer.
1: Wally Armstrong, our guest, and um, if you want to get these books, I tell you, you need to pick them up. A lot of other great stuff at wallyarmstrong.com. Practicing the President of Jesus, which I'm reading right now, you need to get it. The Mulligan with Ken Blanchard, and of course, he was involved with uh, In His Grip as well, Tom Lehman, a, a devotional golf book for all you golfers that want something that applies to golf every day as you read the scriptures. When we come back, More with PGA Pro Wally Armstrong. We'll talk some youth golf right here on Sold Out Sports Talk on AFR Talk.
0: Welcome back to Sold Out Sports Talk with Roman Gabriel III on American Family Radio. In this segment, we'll hear from Robert the Ghost Guerrero, five-time boxing world champ.
1: back on Sold Out Sports Talk on American Family Radio, 806 Eastern, 706 Central. You can join us at AFR.net Streaming. Guests coming in with us. Uh, you know, uh, there's nothing more exciting than a guy who's fast and can move and is a gladiator. And uh, that's who Robert Guerrero is. He's uh, won six world titles, and they call him the Ghost. And I can only imagine why, because he's so fast and because he gets the job done. He's got a fight in Anaheim coming up uh, next week, next weekend, Saturday, August 27th on Spike TV, and he's going to take on David Peralta from Argentina. And uh, also, you should know if you're per view that this guy's uh, been a part of some of the biggest pay-per-views since 1998, uh in Oscar de la Hoya and what he was able to do. So Robert Guerrero with us on Sold Out Sports Talk on American Family Radio. Robert, how are you?
3: All right, good morning. How's everybody doing?
1: Awesome, awesome. Great to be with you. And uh, I, w- I would assume, since they call you the ghost, uh, you- that uh, your hands are pretty quick and that you can move pretty fast. Is that right?
3: Oh, yes, definitely. Uh, you can't hit what you can't see and uh, move my head pretty quick.
1: Well, tell me about how you got that name. How'd that stick? I lo- You know, that's big for boxers, you know. you got to have that name. It's got to go with you. I like it.
3: Yes, yeah, that MO you get. Um, I got it when I was a kid. Uh, I was nine years old boxing in the gym. And um, it was one of the first times I ever got in the ring and sparred. There was a, a trainer in there watching, and um, I was sparring a, a kid that he was training. And I would hit the kid and just move off to the side really fast and throw combination and move and throw combination. And the kid comes back and he's like, it's like he's a ghost. He's there. He's not. I can't hit him. And since then they started calling me the ghost it's stuck and everywhere just every time I got in the ring hey ghost ghost so uh it's stuck ever since and um you know it's a cool name
1: well you've had the opportunity to fight at a lot of different levels and that take that takes a toll can take a toll on your body especially as you go forward in boxing it's tough on the body tell me about Tell me about how tough it is to win at so many different levels and to change weights and to move up and down the way you have and with the success that you've had.
3: Um, you know, it is pretty tough. Uh, you know, moving up in weight classes, uh, you know, getting in with bigger fighters, uh, guys that are heavier than you and, and harder harder hitters. So, um, you know, it, it it just comes down to, to preparing very well, preparing very well. But one of the biggest things is, is – you know, being at the height of boxing,
2: uh,
3: is the events, everything, you know, leading up to it, media, um, everything that comes with it, uh, you know, that's one of the biggest struggles is, is staying focused and maintaining it and doing what you got to do with, with the whole circus of everything around you. Um, you know, that's one of, one of the, it really is a, it really is a draining experience. So, uh, it, it's, uh it's nice to be able to stay focused and stay grounded and stay on your game and be able to to pull off big fights and, and be successful in them.
1: We're with the six-time former world champion Robert the Ghost Guerrero. He's going to take on David Peralta from Argentina on Spike TV. That'll be Saturday the 27th. And You know, a lot of people out there have no idea uh, what goes on. They turn on the TV, Robert, and they take a look at, you know, guys get in the ring and they go, man, these guys are strong. They've got a lot of... A lot of endurance, and uh, they seem to be in great shape. But very quickly, uh, give the regular fan or even the fan out there that's never really been involved in boxing except for watching a pay-per-view about what you go through coming up to a fight. I know you told me off the air that your last day of sparring was here. Uh, tell, tell us very quickly how you build up to be in the kind of shape and the mental condition that you need to be in to be in a world championship fight. Um, sure.
3: I mean, we, we we start out It's about a good eight-week process of just intense training um, three times a day. You get up and do your hour run. You do your boxing training. Then you do a conditioning at night. Um, and, and just the mental dreaming, the mental aspect of it, uh, of just putting your body through a, a grueling process to be very well prepared to put your body through punishment, to be able to withstand a guy punching on your body and, and hitting you, uh it, it, it really is it really is a, a tough process and um you know, getting into the fight, uh you're you're prepared, you're ready to go, you're in shape, your body's uh uh ready for it to endure what what what's gonna happen, but the the tough process about it is getting ready for the fight. That's where your body takes a toll, is, is the process of getting your body ready for for an actual fight, so yeah, I mean, it really is draining, and um, you know, it takes a lot of focus, a lot of, a lot of rest, a lot of, you know, staying prayed up, and and, and you know, putting God first, and, and having them guide you through to to make the right decisions, to be ready in, in your training and everything else.
1: Now you were talking about praying through and you know, a lot of people would never equate being a Christian, being helping you be successful in boxing since you're trying to knock somebody's head off and they're trying to knock your head off. And as a former NFL player, I've been asked the question, you know, about you know, how, how does God integrate himself into your everyday process and, and how does he help you if he does as a as a professional athlete? So tell us about how that works for you and, 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 and how your spiritual mindset has to be in the ring. Um,
3: you know, it, worked, it works out very well for me. Uh, I get that question all the time, how does, how you know, being a Christian and, and being in such a rough, tough, growing sport. And I always go back to, hey, you know what, God's blessed me to to have these type of talent. And, and I always look at, at my boxing career as, as a form of ministry. Um, every time I step into that ring, every time I do an interview, every time I'm on TV, you know, always talking about the Lord. Always giving him praise, you know, for the blessings he's blessed me with, and and also, you know, every time I step into the ring, it's, you know, got scripture on my shorts. I always put Acts two thirty eight to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. So I feel that if I want to get a message across to people in the in in the Lord's name, it's it's you know, whack them in the head with that, and, and there's no, I think there's no. First out there that is as straight forward as as can be, and um, you know it just it truly is it truly is a blessing to like I said be in the position that I'm in and be able to use my my sport and, and such a rough tough you know sport where it, it just you're pretty much putting your body through through the ringer and, and to be able to use it as a ministry with thousands and thousands and millions of people around the world watching you and all eyes are on you. and to be able to praise the lord i I think it's it's incredible and and man it just impacts a lot of people
1: we're talking to robert the ghost guerrero he's going to be taking on david peralta from argentina on spike tv august 27th next saturday you'll get a chance to check that out and uh, the ghost is moving fast and hopefully he'll be fast enough next weekend and you know, one of the things about boxing that's become, you know, always been prevalent, but even more now, because you have to, you know, hype the pay-per-view and you have to get the viewers to you, um, it's changed so much the boxing world in terms of social networking, in terms of all the PR you mentioned earlier. You know, there's a lot of trash talking that goes on in boxing. You know, you see a lot of trash talking before the fight, even, even you know, the whole psych-out thing before the fight begins. But I would assume that you're probably not much of a trash talker. That you kind of let the fist do the do the uh, talking.
3: Oh yeah, definitely. I, I let I let uh, that ring generalship and getting in there and, and taking care of business do the talking. Uh, it's it's funny you say that. Um, you know, it, it. Last year, 2015, I was the highest viewed fighter in boxing, and, and you have all these fighters who trash talk and and, and are out there and using as much social media, all the media doing just corrupted stuff to, to keep their face out there and to just build themselves up, um, they can't understand why I'm the highest viewed fighter when I do none of that. I, I take care of my family, put God first, go in the fight, do what I got to do, work hard, and they just don't understand it. And I tell them all the time, I go, you guys have the wrong recipe the right recipe is put God first and he'll provide for you. And that's what he does. He provides for me. And I'm the highest viewed fighter out there and they, they just can't understand it. And I, I just tell them all the time, hey, you know, it, it's what God provides for me. You know, I put him first and I exalt him every time I fight. And, you know, he, he's the provider.
1: A couple of minutes left with Robert the Ghost Guerrero. He's going to fight in Anaheim. Uh, looking forward to it on Spike TV. And, uh, you know, one of the things that, you mentioned was family and your wife Casey was diagnosed with leukemia back in October, 2007. And you were talking about before we came on about the ups and downs and about what you have to go through. Tell me about how that experience changed for both of your lives.
3: Uh, that is, that experience was, it was, it was rough. It was a rough experience. Uh, she had to undergo the bone marrow transplant and, um, that's probably one of the toughest things that I've had to see and and watch. I always go back to, they go, oh, how was that I? I go, man, it makes boxing look like you're going to Disneyland and having a good time. Just every everything they go through, the side effects and everything. Um, I mean, it's incredible to see how far she came and, and um, you know, the blessings that, that she's been blessed with to, to be able to overcome and, and be healthy and, And cancer free. I mean, it it just, it's incredible. It it, it is a rough process. And, um, but we've always had that faith and, and, you know, put everything in God's hands and let, let God take its course and, and and heal it. And it, it it all works
1: out. Robert, the Ghost Guerrero final moments. About 30 seconds, Robert. Uh, tell me about your overall goals after boxing, what you want to do.
3: Uh, overall goal in boxing i i tell people this all the time they they think boxing is is you know what it was about and, and it was really big uh, i i think boxing is just a stepping stone to get where i need to be in, in the ministry and um you know to go out and be able to spread that word it already started being able to spread the word in front of millions of people and, and, and talk to the lord so i really feel that after boxing it's gonna it's gonna come down to uh you know that calling on God, just pulling me, pulling me towards the ministry.
1: Robert, the Ghost Guerrero, with us. He's going to take on David Peralta next Saturday night, August twenty seventh, on Spike TV, The six time world champion looking to get after it. And uh, Robert, we certainly appreciate you taking time out of your busy training schedule to get ready for this fight. And uh, how do people how do people follow you very quickly if they want to? Uh,
3: you could you could follow me on uh, on Facebook, on Ghost Fans, or on. Um, on, uh, what is it, Instagram, you could call it. It's
1: Ghost Boxing. Robert, appreciate you coming in. Good luck in the fight, my friend. God bless you. look forward to talking to you soon. Hold on the line.
3: Thanks very much.
1: Back with more on Sold Out Sports Talk on AFR Talk.
0: Welcome back to Sold Out Sports Talk with Roman Gabriel III on American Family Radio. In this segment, we'll hear from Spencer Tillman, 49 ers Super Bowl champ.
1: There's no difference between the two guys. This guy here is a guy who loves Jesus, uh, played at Oklahoma where he was a national champion, uh, running back, uh, then a Super Bowl champion with the San Francisco 49ers, but more importantly a brother in Christ and uh, somebody who's doing some great work that uh, we've gotten to know each other very well over the last year and he's been a guest on this show. Uh, last time we caught up with him, as I said, was uh, Super Bowl 50 in San Francisco, but our good friend Spencer Tillman anyway, he was here on Sold Out. Spencer, how are you, buddy?
4: Oh, I don't mean to brag, but I'm doing pretty good for an old man. Roman, how are you doing, my friend?
1: Well, don't say that you're an old man because I'm two (laughs) years older than you. So uh, if you're an old man, then I'm in a lot of trouble.
4: (laughs) No, you look good. You look great. Last time I saw you in Houston, as a matter of fact, a few days ago, you are looking great. So um, you're you're not much worse worse for wear. You're doing fine.
1: Well, it was was always great to see you. We had a good time in Houston, and uh, we're there for for a purpose, and, uh, of course, Super Bowl 51 in Houston coming back there, Spencer, 10 years later. Uh, they did a great job last time around, and and I'm sure this is going to be a great one as well.
4: Yeah, it should be. You know, we lost football here, if you recall, back in the late 90s, and uh, Bob McNair, the owner of the Houston Texans, was gracious and uh, put up the dollars to, to bring football back to Houston, and uh, that was in the early 2000s, and we've been rolling ever since, and it's been a great organic process, but we've had the Super Bowl one other time uh, prior to this upcoming Super Bowl in 2016-17, so that was back in 2007, I want to believe, somewhere around that time. And maybe uh, maybe but,
1: the most exciting Super Bowl game that we've seen between yeah. the Patriots and the Panthers, I remember. It was a great football game coming down to the last second field goal.
4: Yeah, and we get a chance to perhaps duplicate that or at least match it again, and that's the, the fun thing about it. You know, like all the other postseason uh, pinnacle events, we get a chance to know years in advance, in some cases, where the Super Bowl will be. It's not like the NBA or baseball where those two cities determine where it's going to be. And, and that, that kind of gives you a chance to build that anticipation. So we are on tiptoes of anticipation here in Houston, Texas, waiting for the Super Bowl to come back. But in the meantime, we're planning, uh, as are you, uh, to, to have a, a great event series leading up to that. So we're, we're excited here.
1: Spencer Tillman's with us, and of course, if I took the time to go over his resume, we would waste all of our time. But I will say, CBS for 17 years, college football, you've seen him as an anchor at the desk. He's called games. Also Fox, um, Houston Texans, um, and what uh, he was just talking about, which is going to be an incredible event the week after Super Bowl. Um, He's been doing it for about four years now. It's the Lombardi Awards. And uh, what's cool about it is, as you probably know, it is the Lombardi Defensive Lineman Award that's given out. Uh, But what uh, Spencer has done is taken the Lombardi Awards, uh, which is named after, of course, the Super Bowl trophy. Uh, But you're going to find out some things today that it has a big connection to college football and that Vince Lombardi and his family wanted much more than just uh, to be heard in the Super Bowl. So, Spencer, tell us... uh, We've talked a little bit about the Lombardi Awards, but I know you're looking forward to really kicking it to the next level the week after Super Bowl in Houston, Texas.
4: Yeah, the Reader's Digest version of it is really interesting. Uh, about four or five years ago, some principals at the Rotary Club of Houston who are the rights holders to the Lombardi Award came to us, Axiom Productions, my company, and said, Is, is there's something you could do to help raise the profile of our event. And my initial thought, I'm always a – you know, kind of looking at the, 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 the reasons for why things weren't successful before and then possibly move, removing those constraints to try to, to give a clear pathway to some success. So we began the hard work of looking at what was, and for nearly 50 years, the event was kind of sequestered away and kind of buried, and, and no one really knew it. And it was a shame because the narrative was really compelling. In 1969, when Vince Lombardi was diagnosed with cancer, uh, he had relatives here in the Houston area who were very helpful in that process, a couple of them happened to be Rotarians, and the long and short of it was after he passed in 1969 or seventy, 70, uh, the NFL a year later appropriated his name for the use of the Super Bowl trophy, the game's highest team honor. Uh, a year prior to that, two businessmen who were members of the Rotary Club of Houston went to Marie Lombardi and asked her for the right to use the Lombardi name and leverage it for purposes of raising funds for cancer cures. She granted him that right. So if you follow the timeline there... The story is that the College Award had the right to use the Lombardi name a full year before the NFL appropriated it for its top honor. But the problem is you know, the NFL is a marketing machine, and the Rotary Club of Houston is not. Um, the leadership structure, it changes every year. It's very tough to get traction with ideas, and, and leadership was very slow to get that traction. So the the wisdom of them was to go to people outside of their purview to find some solutions, and we did that. Uh, we went to CBS Sports. Sean McManus gave us a couple of hours on the, the, the network station there, and uh, we incubated it for a few years, perfected the whole process of broadcast, and um, now are in the position to scale it. So we're excited about it, and that's in part what you were here for last week uh, to kind of uh, unpack what's possible with your outstanding effort initiatives. And uh, we see the world the same way. So we're going to leverage what God has put before us to do something really special.
1: Spencer Tillman is here with us um, heading up the Lombardi Awards, which will be a week after the Super Bowl in Houston. And uh, one of the things uh, that I love about this program is, you know, there are a lot of awards programs out there. And believe me, you know, there's nothing wrong with awards programs. Um, But the real question happens when we finish the awards program, you know, how are we impacting uh, those around us? And um, if you would tell our audience about how uh, youth get involved in this, there's the Lombardi Junior Awards and how student athletes are impacted through this.
4: Yeah, in 2012, you know, the notion of creating the Junior Lombardi Award was kind of hatched, and um, we did it on a national basis, and with the idea, it almost sounds inverted, you would go local first, but we needed to scale it and make it national first, and then the following year, they instituted uh, the Junior Lombardi Awards, just focused here in Houston. The idea is a module kind of junior or a facsimile, a reasonable facsimile of what we're doing on the national level with its own local show. We would take the the announcement and the winner and invite them to our big show. Uh, They wouldn't necessarily be front and center part of that. We just want that culture to be shared, uh, the culture of leadership and excellence. And so we began here in Houston, Texas, where the award began. And uh, the plan is to propagate that and spread that out throughout the United States and cities across America. And that's a little bit more down the road for us, about three years but you will be able to have a junior Lombardians at your particular school uh, moving forward. And so we're, we're doing some things with respect to tweaking the categories of who's eligible and so forth, which will have an impact on that. And that's an organic process that's taking place. But in the meantime, we'll be rolling out uh, Halo events, uh, kind of a a seven-pillared or seven-tiered approach that is representative of the seven major institutions that all cultures have. And briefly, a few of them are education, arts, and entertainment, of which sport is a member of football in particular. You've got um, business, government, you have family, religion, media. All of these pillars have to be uh, integral to the success of any thriving culture. And what they all have in common is this idea of leadership. And that's the virtue and the brand that Lombardi stands for. So we're going to appropriate this iconic teacher, educator, mentor, friend. He was so so much of an innovator, to be sure. We're going to take his leadership approach to things and propagate it throughout those seven institutions and be able to honor people uh, within those institutions who represent the type of leadership that Lombardi demonstrated. And we're talking far beyond the white lines of a football field. Leadership is the attribute in greatest demand, yet shortest supply, and there's no other iconic figure, at least at that level in football in particular, that exemplifies that better than Lombardi did.
1: Spencer Tillman is with us, the uh, head of Lombardi Awards, coming up in Houston after Super Bowl Fifty-One. And, uh, you know, Spencer, one of the things that we love to do on this show is we love to encourage family. We love to encourage moms and dads that as difficult as sometimes things can look outside in terms of some of the things that their kids come up against, some of the thoughts, some of the things being taught to children today in schools that are so against biblical principles. What I love about your program is, is that those pillars that you just talked about um, can be used to, to give what the world would call life skills, but what you and I call biblical principles. And tell tell me why, for parents out there, biblical principles and life skills training is so important.
4: Well, that, that's a huge question, and, and it's a great one, too. And I'll give it my old college try. I, I can tell you that, you know, as Christians, we're called to be as wise as serpents and to understand, count up the cost. There are The Scriptures are replete with examples where we are admonished to consider the conditions around us before we do anything. We are to pursue peace. We are to seek the wisdom of counsel, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. There are purposes and reasons for that, because there is protection, there is wisdom when we come together and share with like-minded people. And so we're not necessarily told to stay away from the areas that the secular space has claimed that that is our media, our government, and all these other areas. As Christians, we have to stake our claim. You know, I'm from Oklahoma, and we're known as Sooners in Oklahoma. Some people call us cheaters because we went out and staked our claim before everybody had access to the land, run. But the bottom line is we had wisdom. We had an understanding that in order to stake our claim, we had to be wise and to understand the context of our situation. The world is in a very difficult place right now, and it's one that Christians should be aware of. Big picture, there are 7 billion people on planet Earth. And of those seven billion, according to Gallup, five billion of them are adults age 15 and older. And of those, Roman, three billion are telling Gallup that they're full-time formally employed or seeking full-time formal employment. But here's the problem: there are only 1.8 billion full-time formal jobs created in the world today. So if you do the math, that leaves us with a 1.2 billion shortfall in full-time formal jobs. But what does that have to do with the question that you asked? Well, people are going to fail more because of globalization, information technology. Folks are able to collaborate and compete for jobs in Bangalore, India, and China that they couldn't even think about 15 or 10 years ago. That has real implications for us competing in the world today. We're going to have to be more resilient. Why? Because we're going to fail more. We're going to lose more of those jobs. Uh, and then the attitude that's required to come back as a result of a setback becomes more important than even academic prowess in some ways. Now, we are big time advocates of academia here at the Lombardi Awards. Uh, Lombardi himself was a tremendous teacher of Latin, physics, and so forth. But what we also understand is every Christian should. The bigger context says we don't know or should we care that those things are important. The bottom line is there are more people that are able to collaborate and compete for those shrinking number of jobs. Therefore, we have to be creative. We have to have enterprise architecture to look at the problem and come up with an innovative way to address it. We almost have to view job mobility as with a badge of
1: honor. Spencer, we love you, brother. Thanks for coming in. We'll look forward to talking to you soon. All right, Roman. Take care. Thank you, buddy.
0: Welcome back to Sold Out Sports Talk with Roman Gabriel III on American Family Radio. In this segment, we'll hear from Tony Nathan and Caleb Castile from Super Bowl 50 on the Woodlawn movie.
1: you haven't seen Woodlawn the movie, what a story. Drama, football, race, a little bit of everything in this film, I mean, to to look at. But two guys sitting next to me, they know what playing football is all about. Tony Nathan, great Miami Dolphin, of course, uh, had a great career in the NFL. Alabama under Bear Bryant, uh, one of the most productive running backs in NCAA history. Uh, Then you got Caleb Castillo, two national championships under Nick Saban at Alabama. Knows the game and... uh, he played this guy to the right of me, uh, Caleb Castillo, played Tony Nathan in the movie Woodlawn. And first of all, congratulations, guys. Great to have you on Radio Row. Oh, thanks Thank for you. having us. Appreciate awesome, having awesome movie. First thing i got to ask Tony is your uh, your feelings, you and your family, about it after you saw the movie.
5: Well, my wife and I, when we first saw it, we asked the crowd about it. Uh, you know, it was it was touching and moving. Um to see my life, our life being portrayed on the movie screen. Uh, and after we uh, watched it, we watched it with my daughters and come to find out they we had to have a family meeting because they said all that stuff they never knew about that happened in our life. So it's anyway, well, we don't know y'all, y'all strangers. <laughs> what what
1: was was it surreal though seeing yourself? I mean, you've seen yourself on NFL films and you've seen yourself, you know, obviously on television playing football. But to see someone else, Caleb here play the part for you what was that like
5: it was strange in a sense that somebody trying to be you you know I've I've had people in my life tell other people that they are me but you know just I don't know trying to gain some sort of deal And but actually seeing somebody being sincere and truthful about doing it and actually pretty much getting it right it uh, is very rewarding
1: Caleb, it's really exciting, your story. We talked about it last time on my show. You know, three days out, you find out you're going to play the role that you never really acted seriously before in your life. You played football, obviously. You're good at that. Uh, But challenge about Tony Nathan, and how did you prepare for him and and the opportunity to play him?
6: Yeah, I think for me it was just uh, preparation meeting an opportunity. And for me, I had been acting uh, for about a year. I had not done anything to the level of a full length feature before. So um we initially, me and my team, we um auditioned for the lead role, uh found out we didn't get it. And then they uh brought me to the open casting, which I there was hired as uh stunt double and so worked there, did the rehearsals for that for about three weeks and then three days before production, they called me back in and they're like, hey, we wanna look at you to play the lead. And so um, at that time, I was just ready. I mean, I was prepared. I think that uh, um, from the beginning, I just had faith that this was going to be my film.
1: Tell me, you guys, about um, the response to the movie. I mean, and now the DVD being out. By the way, Woodlawn, the movie is where you go to get the DVD. You know, I'm just going to say this. I I took my daughter, my son-in-law, after we talked to see it. They're not big sports fans. My daughter, you know, she... Just heard it was a good film and wanted to yeah. come with me. Yeah, good. So when we watched the film on the way out, walking out, my daughter looked at me and she said, "Dad, the that's the that's the one of the best movies I've ever seen. It was that's awesome." Amazing. Uh, my son-in-law the same way. We all had tears in our eyes during parts of the movie, mm. and we talked about this on my show. Um, I came up in the '70s during the Jesus movement. Um, I my relationship with God happened that way. Mm-hmm. I was involved with FCA as a youngster in college. I had an FCA director like Sean Aston that mentored us when we played football in college. So it was a film that touched me in a lot of different ways. It was very emotional to watch. Um, I figure that you guys have probably heard that a lot.
5: Been there. Have heard that great deal. I mean they um the response to it has been tremendous, you know, and um, kind of surprising to me because somebody wanna see or you know, hear about me and my life. Me is boring to me and my wife sometimes. But for someone else to think it's just enough to actually meet, you know, reach people and get and get them to make the commitment to Christ. That's outstanding.
1: And so many, so many people today, he's being humble because there are very few movies, Caleb, that are true, that have the kind of emotion this film had that looks at some very serious issues, but in a way that is fair and in a way that gets people to think without shoving it down your throat is i guess that's the best way i can say it right
6: yeah i think they just uh it just presented this story of faith and got in the gospel on a platter that's just different than people were used to seeing it and, and i think that the response has been what was the coolest part to me i mean bigger than any number it could have done in the box offices amount of lives that i've seen uh um be turned around so
1: and what's amazing is i have a good friend of mine i work for him at fca he's the director of our arkansas fca and he was telling me the of thousands of kids in arkansas that were saved through the through the football yeah, uh, uh you know outreaches with the movie in high schools and junior highs so it's it's real and tangible what you guys were able to do with this movie and mm-hmm. and it definitely was anointed for sure for sure so tell me about the dvd and I guess I'll ask you the same question I asked uh, for both of you, uh, Vandy, uh, Vandy, a couple of weeks ago, Erwin, uh, and that is, why should someone go out and get the DVD? And if they haven't seen the movie, why should they see it? I think it's a great tool. Um, number one, it's
6: it's entertaining. It's a great film. It's a great story. And then uh, second to that, it's a great tool to share a message of faith and hope and forgiveness and it's it's inspiring i mean it's for the whole family you know people from all walks of life have loved this movie just like you just said your your daughter and her husband they weren't sports fans you know and they were able to sit down and actually uh enjoy this film so i think that people should go get it if you want to be entertained by a great film of course and then if you want a message because that's how that's why people watch film it's, they want to be moved emotionally and they want to be entertained and i think this does both
1: i'm with tony nathan former miami dolphin alabama crimson tide i'm with uh, caleb castillo alabama crimson tide the movie woodlawn on dvd available right now at woodlawnthemovie.com tony you know you come from a different generation than today a lot of these young men like this guy <laughs> are, are saying thank you to people like you and this is another thing that this story did Um, I remember that time, even though I was very young. I was, uh, at that time, about, uh, I want to say 13 Mm -hmm. or 14. But I remember the difference that that at the time that things were changing uh, and what it took to get change. It was very painful. Very painful. I wanted to know from you at that time, because that's made very clear in the movie, very emotional in the movie, about just the struggle you had and your friends, few friends had on the team in terms of being accepted, even with your athletic ability, Uh, of becoming an integral part of a football team and becoming who you were and getting the opportunity. Tell me about your head coach, because he was awesome in this film and about what he meant to you, giving you an opportunity in high school.
5: Well, you know, um, I've been very blessed that I've had uh, have and had uh, great men in my life, great father figures. Um, My dad, my grandfather, I've learned from them how to deal with people that – resisted you because you was different. Uh, my high school coach, uh, he saw something, I guess I didn't see in myself. Uh, and uh, he actually would devote to his time and uh, not let me get into the craziness that was going on around me. Uh, he you know, devoted his time to making sure that I was where I needed to be when I needed to be there. Um, Due to what was going on on the team, he set some people straight about how they believe and what he should do with the team, and he didn't let the fans or the other kids that was there control the team. Uh, so you know, I, he showed me that I could trust him, and I did learn all white people wasn't bad. So, <laughs> and I learned that you know he cared about me as a person. He meant a great deal to me. He. Uh, like I said, kept me out of trouble, and he actually uh, accepted Christ through the movement that was going on in the school. And uh, and when he left Woodlawn and went to other school that he coached, that actually won the national championship. And most of the kids at his school wow. accepted Christ too because of his leadership.
1: Sean Aston, of course, plays uh, what we would call an FCA director. Uh, of course, the great John Voight on Bear Bryant, and boy, did he did a great job. We talked about that last time, Caleb. Two things toughest part of making this movie and maybe a fun moment making it that you remember
6: oh man yeah i think the toughest part of making the film was just uh having to step into um that time period emotionally and then number two um when we there's a scene in the movie where we play banks high school for the first time and it's a rain sequence that's about like a 90 second (laughs) sequence filming uh and you know, we're depicting the fall in Alabama, which, you know, football season, but it was winter when we shot. So you're getting rained on, and it's 28 degrees outside for 6 to 12 hours. So that wasn't fun. But uh, I think the the best process, uh, I mean, the best thing about this process for me um, has been just being able to
5: create something that is impacting people. So,
1: Tony, you and your family, what's going on with you?
5: Well, my wife's still teaching. She's talking about retiring. Uh, she teaches uh, 5K now. She used to do 3K. Myself, uh, after being removed from coaching in the NFL from uh, 08, I became a bailiff in Miami, okay. in Dade County. Uh, I'm actually a bailiff of a judge that I actually played with, uh, Ed Newman. Is that right? And uh, I played ball with him when he, we both played in Miami. So. Uh, And I volunteer at different high schools during that period of time just to keep myself busy doing some things. So, you know, i am not totally just walked in and crawled into a shell yet.
1: Tony Nathan, Miami Dolphin, Alabama legend. Caleb Castillo, the guy who played him. Woodlawn the movie, woodlawnmovie.com. Get it, the DVD, you want to see a movie, you want to sit down with the whole family, you want to be an influence on maybe a neighbor that needs to know something about some spiritual things and really get an idea for it, this is the film. Guys, appreciate you coming by Media Row. Good luck with everything, Caleb, Tony, and uh, let's stay in touch. Appreciate you guys very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming on Sold Out.
0: You've been listening to Sold Out Sports Talk with Roman Gabriel III on AFR Talk. Podcasts of this program are available at AFR.net. Thanks for listening, and
4: join us again next week for Sold Out Sports Talk.